something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, guys. Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series, Cold-Blooded, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halpern. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one case, but almost a dozen. Listen to Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Falling in love is the best feeling in the world. You see stars, you feel giddy, but sometimes that makes you do crazy things, and sometimes that means murder. Just because a story starts out with Once Upon a Time doesn't mean it ends happily ever after. Welcome to Crazy in Love, a production of KT Studios and iHeartRadio. Today's guests are true crime producers Jeff Shane, Beth Greenwald, and Tim Hamilton. Episode 40, the case of the Twitter feed, the small town, and the really mean girls. Skylar Neese was born and raised in Star City, West Virginia, a small town of only about 1,800 people with just one stop sign. However, Despite being in an insular community, Skylar had big plans. At 16, Skylar was smart. A straight-A student, she loved reading and math. With her big smile and infectious laugh, she dreamt of being a criminal defense lawyer. After school, she worked at a local Wendy's, saving money for college. If just one word came to mind when thinking about their daughter, Skylar's parents said she was genuine. At University High School, Skylar was well-liked. She was known as bubbly and always seemed to put friends first. It's no surprise she found herself in a very tight clique with two other girls named Sheila Eddy and Rachel Schof. The group referred to themselves as the, quote, three musketeers, and classmates said they were literally together every second of every day. It was the type of friendship we all aspire to have. Secrets, inside jokes, and amazing memories. 
The girls felt more like sisters than friends, talking at all hours of the night and walking into each other's houses without knocking. Here's Beth. Sheila, Rachel, and Skylar were best friends, but they all had different upbringings. Skylar had two loving parents. Sheila was like a bit more of like a latchkey kid, didn't have a lot of rules in her household. And Rachel came from a strict Catholic home, but had divorced parents. And regardless of these differences, they became impossibly close in a way that like, you know, teenage girls can. You know, and despite psychologists saying that friendship triangles are impossible to maintain and will inevitably leave someone out, these girls really had a strong bond and made this friendship work. Other people in the school always described the threesome as very popular, always together, sat at lunch. They were a tight group of friends and they're young. And Rachel, who had striking red hair, was always the center of attention when she'd walk into a room. You would not miss her because she was the redhead and she was tall and beautiful. Skylar had a very innocent look about her. She was came from a family who loved her very innocent and impressionable, doe-eyed. And then we had Sheila who dyed her hair blonde. So you had really three very distinct looks between the three of them. The trio gained a, a kind of a rowdy reputation around school and town with Sheila leading the pack. And they got that reputation because they were known to sneak out after curfew, go to parties, hang out, and sometimes experiment with marijuana. But you know, they were pretty much good girls. They were just doing the teenage thing. Uh, Rachel describes herself online, and this is why I say it's a, a typical high school girl, is just she describes herself online as, I want to go to Hogwarts, Chinese food is my favorite, and a day with me and Sheila is never a dull day. Don't make a permanent decision for a temporary emotion. Sometimes I wish I didn't fall in love, she type. You know, you can see, Jeff, these are kind of just run-of-the-mill, typical teenage girls going through high school, right? Yeah, totally, Tim. And all of this was shared perhaps too much on social media, which is actually pretty normal. Nine out of 10 teens report using it. The girls were really active on Twitter and Facebook. But as we know all too well right now, social media is very harmful to teens. It can affect their mental health, especially with teens struggling with body image, anxiety, depression, and eating disorders. But despite all that, by all accounts, Skylar Niece was a pretty happy average teen. She would tweet things like, this is seriously the best night ever. And Words cannot describe how excited I am for this summer. So really what strikes me from all this is just how normal it sounds. You know, these are girls who are very close. They are going to parties. They have a lot of friends. They're putting pictures online. It just seems like you could find this click at any high school in any city in, it, in America. I have two younger sisters. It felt like them and their friends. It's cutesy. It's sleepovers. It's try to sneak out and not have mom and dad find out. It's try to let's go swimming in the middle of the night. It's harmless fun. And it just seems very, very typical of a teenage girl or a teenage girl with two best friends. It seems like they were really close, having fun. And, you know, at that age, you're kind of testing out boundaries. And it's good to know that you have a bunch of loyal friends who have your back as you're kind of going through life. You hear a lot about teenagers cyberbullying. And what I see in these girls' social media is actually kind of the opposite. They're constantly loving each other and saying nice things about each other and singing each other's praises. So it really feels like a supportive friendship, which it's a refreshing thing. However, Skylar's summer would come to a tragic end. On the morning of July 6, 2012, the brunette teen disappeared. Was she a runaway? Did she have an older boyfriend who harmed her? Was she sex trafficked? Nobody knew. One day after disappearing, Sheila Eddy called Skylar's mother. 
She was guilt-stricken and admitted that the night Skylar disappeared, she and Rachel had picked her up and drove around like they had so many nights before. On the morning in question, Rachel told Mrs. Niece that around midnight, Skylar asked her friends to drop her at the end of the road so that the car lights wouldn't wake her parents. The girls obliged, and it was the last time they ever saw their friend alive. Police got a lead when they obtained security footage from Skylar's family's apartment complex. At 12.30 a.m., they saw an unknown car pull up and Skylar run into it. It was impossible to figure out the maker model, but one thing was clear. Skylar got into the car on her own accord. Here's Jeff. The first thing police did was look at the teenager's social media account because, like we said, she was very active on it. And they looked for some clues, and it seemed like the 4th of July weekend had Skylar feeling down about something. She was tweeting things like, life would be so much easier if jealousy didn't exist. The day of the disappearance, she tweeted, you doing shit like this is why I will never trust you. And perhaps prophetically, she tweeted, stress will be the death of me. Police couldn't figure out what she was talking about. According to her friends, Rachel and Sheila, nothing would have the girls stressed out and things were going well between them. She also didn't have a boyfriend that anyone knew about. Tim, is there anything we know about this mystery car? Who was driving it, where it came from, where it was going? We don't know much about this mystery car, except it pulled in around 1230 in the morning, about a half an hour after Skylar's friends dropped her off about a block from her house. Her mom's theory was that Rachel and Sheila dropped her off at midnight. Then 30 minutes later, she snuck back out to the mystery car. We didn't know who was driving it. You couldn't make out through the video, the license plate. You couldn't see how many people were in the car, but you could see the car pull into their their parking lot and you could see Skylar get in and the car drive away. Because Skylar got into the car uh, on her own, it didn't qualify for an Amber Alert, which could have potentially helped. But she wasn't taken. She wasn't forced into the car. She got in on her own, which then again, doesn't qualify for an Amber Alert. Yeah, Tim, the Amber Alert thing is really kind of distressing because even if Skylar did run off on her own, one in three runaways become victims of sex trafficking. So the police should have taken her running away just as seriously as a kidnapping, especially when she didn't turn up right away. Exactly. And her past and her her character and her friends and her mom and dad, this was unusual. They knew the character of their daughter and she wasn't going to be a runaway and there was nothing to point to that direction. So really just her age and the time of day and not being home and her family not knowing where she went should have qualified. You know, I mean, here's the thing. I'm not sure she was a runaway. I mean, if she was a runaway, you know, she would have taken her stuff and she didn't bring her contacts or take her glasses. So to me, it didn't seem like she was a runaway. No, this is a girl who works really hard in school. She has an after school job. She cares about her friends. She cares about her family. It seems very out of character that she would make herself disappear for any extended period of time. And not at at least, at the very least, you think she would tell her closest friends where she was going. If she had this mystery boyfriend, they would know it. And if they want to help the investigation, they would probably tell the police everything they knew. A hundred percent. You have to wonder, what was she doing out at 1230 in the morning after her friends just brought her home? It's certainly weird because if her two closest friends are not with her, like, who is she with? That's what I mean, yeah. Yeah, and in such a small town, too, there's only so many suspects, you would think. But we know she's very active online. Perhaps she did meet someone on the internet that has lured her out and taken her somewhere bad. It's also just such unexpected behavior, but did she have a secret boyfriend? Was there a party? 
it's also a holiday weekend. It's a big party weekend. It's the 4th of July. Maybe there's something going on. But again, if she doesn't turn up the next day, that is an immediate cause for concern. We're going to take a break. We'll be back in just a moment. Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus, where every week I take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who were they? What made them so notorious? Why did the internet choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? I'll be talking to internet historians, experts, and yes, the main characters themselves to get a fuller picture. Because I think that even outside individual experiences, a character of the day tells us something about how the internet worked at that time and how the attention economy developed into the freaky three-headed dragon it is today. Together, we probably won't be able to properly log out, but we can take a walk down scary internet memory lane and see one day a little more clearly. Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series, Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halper. Just a shame, you know, that they took him from us. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, knocking on doors, uncovering new evidence, including the DNA of a potential killer. Uh, my name is Danny Smith. I'm a detective uh, with Miramar Police Department. This is Scott Weinberger. We're actually reopening an old case, and your name came up. Untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one murder, but almost a dozen. I thought they were going to kill me, so I kept my mouth shut and I didn't say anything. All these years, I didn't say anything. Listen to Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Are you ready to fight back against crime? Hi guys, Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies, personally investigating, prosecuting, and covering literally thousands of cases. It's so easy to think it will never happen to me or my family, but that is simply not true. Every day on Crime Stories with Nancy Grace, we shine a light on unsolved homicides, heat up cold cases, and help find missing people, especially children. We speak with family members, investigators, CSI, reporters, and experts in every field. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. We started talking about this incident. Drugs and uh, officials cover up. <laughs> you couldn't believe it. From iHeart Podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. A story about money, power, and corruption. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. There's no way that that guy's a doctor. I'm Paul Pringle. 
and I'm an investigative reporter for the LA Times. This is the story of an investigation that starts in a hotel room in Pasadena, California, and reaches all the way to the top of two of the most powerful institutions in the city of Los Angeles. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. This is Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption. We're always going to have predators. It's the good people who stand by and do nothing that allow them to flourish. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Both of Skylar's parents were very concerned when they discovered she wasn't in her bed. And so they started calling her friends and looking onto her social media feeds and everything seemed normal. Her friends didn't know where she was. There was nothing out of sorts on the social media feeds and everything seemed to just be like, maybe she snuck out with some other friends since she was popular in her school. And maybe went to like a lake somewhere since it was the 4th of July weekend. or was just having fun with other kids. But that changed because the very next morning, one of Skylar's friends called Skylar's mom back and said, I have to tell you, I lied to you last night and Skylar snuck out with us after you went to bed. And so that kind of started the ball moving in a different direction of where to look for her, you know, the family learning more information. They learned that there was a step stool kind of right outside of her, her bedroom window. And the, her father saw that and didn't think twice about it the morning of, but then the next day is like, okay, now he understands that's what she used to jump out of the window and step onto the street. So that's what her parents were doing in the immediate. Despite there being no leads, Skylar's friends continued to rally. Sheila was supportive and helpful to the niece family. At one point, she came over to their home and cried with Skylar's mom on Skylar's bed. Skylar's besties were also helping the investigation. They were organizing searches and posting constantly on social media, pleading for answers. Still, there was no sign of Skylar. At a candlelight vigil, Rachel and Sheila were seen sobbing. Mrs. Neese found comfort in the fact that Skylar had such great friends. Rumors swirled in the small town, and police got tips that Skylar had been seen in such far-flung places as California and New York. All were dead ends. Months went by with no answers. Rachel and Sheila tried to get back to normal, but their classmates were beginning to turn on the girls. Students began posting that Rachel and Sheila must have known something. They were the last ones to see Skylar, after all. Seeing this, the FBI began interviewing classmates about Rachel and Sheila's potential involvement. At the time, Mr. and Mrs. Neese defended Skylar's friends vehemently. They thought they would never have hurt their daughter. But Rachel and Sheila continued to become the focus of the investigation. Police found surveillance footage of them at a gas station the night of Skylar's disappearance, miles away from where they claimed they were. Rachel's cell phone also pinged off a tower, again not in the area where they claimed they had been. It was now clear that Rachel and Sheila were not being completely honest. At this point, the nieces turned on Rachel and Sheila. Mrs. Niece posted on Facebook, quote, Throughout all this nightmare, the girls have withheld information. I loved these girls unconditionally and would never have dreamed they could be capable of such things as this. This is truly the ultimate betrayal. 
Here's Beth. What a surprising twist. I thought they were Skylar's best friends, but to know that they've been withholding information is devastating. Yeah, I imagine the nieces were probably heartbroken. I mean, they had looked to these girls as a source of comfort. You know, Sheila's crying with Mrs. Niece about this whole thing. And to find out they lied, even about something small, like they were at a different part of town than they said they were, definitely doesn't feel good. Mrs. Niece also must have been incredibly frustrated too, because to post about it on social media and on this public forum, kind of proclaiming that she's no longer aligned with these girls is really like a big proclamation. I wonder if they did that to get more pressure, you know, put pressure on the girls that if they were turning on them and classmates were turning on them, that perhaps they would either let something slip out if they knew or would come forward with other information that could perhaps help them find Skylar. I mean, thinking as Skylar's mom and dad, it's almost like you're sleeping with the enemy. I mean, these are girls who for years have come over your house, have slept in your house, have eaten your dinners, you've cooked for them, you've provided for them, you want to make sure they're taken care of when they're in your home. So it's a shock. And I don't think that there's any way to fully comprehend why they would not, why they'd withhold that information. But just the fact that they did is the ultimate betrayal. And the story just takes a, a weird dive from here. Well, what, Tim, do you know anything about what Rachel and Sheila were saying? How they responded to this Facebook post? They seemed to have like a facade where they just ignored it at first. And then they started taking social media and tweeting things like Sheila wrote, I'm tired of losing sleep over this. And we really did go on three. It was cryptic. It didn't make sense. It would, it, you know, it just was weird. And then Rachel would tweet things like, you don't want to mess with me and Sheila. And it was almost kind of like a defense, like back down, stop saying these things about us because you don't want to mess with us. But we didn't understand understand that we really did go on three didn't didn't make sense but that's how they were responding just taking the social media and the kids in school were already saying that sheila and rachel had to have known something adding that extra layer of pressure and then you have a grieving mother posting publicly about something specifically they withheld i think beth you're right the pressure's mounting the pressure's mounting and sooner or later they're somebody's gonna crack if they do know something yeah, Tim. And you know what? It wasn't just the tension in the in the school. You know, despite there being no arrests, the entire town of Star City suspected the girls. And I imagine they were probably petrified by the mob mentality. But, you know, gone are the days of pitchforks and fires. And the new way to destroy someone is really on social media. Yeah, Beth. And destroy they did. Sheila and Rachel's classmates began posting things directed at the girls like, I hope you're taken away by Christmas. Then you will know what it's like to be away from your family. and be ashamed. Your parents must be. Considering some of the tweets that would come, those were pretty veiled. Tweets actually started to get even more direct. This is one that a classmate wrote. You can't sleep because you're the psycho that has been covering up a murder for the last eight months. Rachel finally cracked and ended up having a mental breakdown. I mean, it really seemed like all eyes were turned and fingers were pointing in the right direction. I mean, Rachel finally cracked. It seems like she was hiding something. Let's stop here for another break. Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus, where every week I take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who were they? What made them so notorious? Why did the internet choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? 
I'll be talking to internet historians, experts, and yes, the main characters themselves to get a fuller picture. Because I think that even outside individual experiences, a character of the day tells us something about how the internet worked at that time and how the attention economy developed into the freaky three-headed dragon it is today. Together, we probably won't be able to properly log out, but we can take a walk down scary internet memory lane and see one day a little more clearly. Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series, Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halpert. It's just a shame, you know, that they took him from us. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, knocking on doors, uncovering new evidence, including the DNA of a potential killer. Uh, my name is Danny Smith. I'm a detective uh, with Miramar Police Department. This is Scott Weinberger. We're actually reopening an old case, and your name came up. Untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one murder, but almost a dozen. I thought they were going to kill me, so I kept my mouth shut and I didn't say anything. All these years, I didn't say anything. Listen to Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Are you ready to fight back against crime? Hi guys, Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies, personally investigating, prosecuting, and covering literally thousands of cases. It's so easy to think it will never happen to me or my family, but that is simply not true. Every day on Crime Stories with Nancy Grace, we shine a light on unsolved homicides, heat up cold cases, and help find missing people, especially children. We speak with family members, investigators, CSI, reporters, and experts in every field. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. We started talking about this incident. Drugs and uh, officials cover up. <laughs> you couldn't believe it. From iHeart Podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. A story about money, power, and corruption. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing. Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. There's no way that that guy's a doctor. I'm Paul Pringle, and I'm an investigative reporter for the LA Times. This is the story of an investigation that starts in a hotel room in Pasadena, California, and reaches all the way to the top of two of the most powerful institutions in the city of Los Angeles. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. This is Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption. We're always going to have predators. It's the good people who stand by and do nothing that allow them to flourish. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
the police obviously were investigating it, but it really is a story of small town justice where people sniffed it out. And before the police knew anything, it seems like classmates and townspeople really suspect what had happened. Rachel and Sheila said that, yes, they did go out the night before. It's still confusing for me because it just seems like friends. It just seems like friends. How would two best friends hurt their other best friend to the point where she could be murdered? But in a lot of the cases that we've worked on and the cases that we even look at, generally it's the last person to see the person. It's the last people who are around the person who were somehow involved in the death or at least know something more. That's true. But... It's like high school girls hanging out. Like, I would never think I'm going to get in the car with my friends, go drinking on the dock, and I might never come back. Yeah, I mean, I think from an outsider's perspective, it seems like things were all hunky-dory with the friends, but clearly locals and classmates started to see something that maybe we haven't. It's also so interesting to me that this case plays out so much online because, you know, every story people talk and there's rumors and people are whispering, but all these kids are putting it on the internet that like these tweets about Rachel and Sheila are online forever. Like we can still find them. That's how we found them in our research. And so kind of the annals of history of this story, like it's really, it's going to live forever online, which is a lesson I think for people using social media that it's like, once you put it on the internet, it will be there forever. Yeah. I mean, I also think it was strange that Rachel took such a defiant tone with that first, you don't want to mess with me and Sheila. I mean, that sounds like a veiled threat. And certainly something you don't want to do when you're possibly under suspicion for a disappearance. I mean, she was a you know an outspoken theater kid, so I think she's probably used to speaking her mind and feeling like she's a little bit top girl at the school. And so this kind of threat to her standing was probably pretty unnerving. But it's extremely inappropriate, especially when her best friend is missing to be talking that way. Agreed. Rachel was admitted into a psychiatric hospital at the end of 2012. Days after being admitted on January 3, 2013, Rachel admitted to police that with Sheila's help, they had killed their best friend. Furthermore, she said that her and Sheila had planned the murder for months. Rachel detailed how the night in question, she and Sheila had packed Sheila's car with bleach, shovels, and kitchen knives. The girls then picked up Skylar, drove her to an isolated spot, and at the count of three took turns stabbing her to death, literally in the back. Rachel told police that in her final moments, Skylar kept screaming, why? Afterwards, the girls buried Skylar in a shallow grave. When the police asked Rachel why they had chosen July 6th for the murder, she told them that she wanted to get it done before leaving for church camp. In Rachel's confession, she revealed Sheila not only helped in the murder, but was the mastermind and that they killed Skylar simply because they didn't want to be friends with her anymore. The story was confirmed when Rachel took police to the crime scene and they found what they believed were Skylar's remains. Police would need to test the remains before anything was confirmed. At this time, police found a very disturbing video. Six months prior to her murder, Skylar films Sheila asking her and Rachel how they would want to die. Was this an ominous coincidence? Here's the audio. Would you guys rather suffocate or get shot? Get shot. Shot. As, wait, it depends on where. Would you rather in the head? Shot. shot. There'd be no suffering at all. 
it's pretty crazy that they were talking about this six months before the murder. It really does make you think that they might have been kind of setting some things in motion that early. It's weird that they were talking about this so many months ahead of time and recorded it. So it lived in infamy on their phones for anyone to access down the road. This is like, you don't just kill somebody when you don't want to be friends with them. Well, their minds were just in a dark place is what it shows that this is like most girls are talking about boys or homework. And these girls are talking about murder. It's certainly now that you know what you know, what they did, it puts this in a completely new lens. Yeah. And it's just what a morbid conversation to have. I mean, it's just random and morbid in my opinion. So after Rachel's mental hospital confession, there's still no arrest. Police said this is because she had lied to them before, so they really wanted to corroborate her story before making the arrest. They wanted the prosecution to have everything locked in completely. They also wanted to use Rachel to get to the mastermind Sheila. They used Rachel to trap Sheila in a wiretapping plan. They had Rachel invite Sheila over in an attempt to get her best friend to confess on a hidden camera. When Sheila got there, she of course tweeted a photo of the pair, but unfortunately Rachel couldn't get Sheila to confess. Yeah, Jeff, days later, uh, the police got a warrant and they searched Sheila's house and car. And in the car, they found trace amounts of blood. Um, of course, they didn't know whose blood it was. So they were going to have to test it. At the same time, though, police positively identified Skylar's remains and word really traveled fast in that small town. Still keeping up appearances, though, Sheila tweeted, The pain is real. Rest easy, Skylar. You will always be my best friend. Finally, Jeff, the blood test came back and the blood found in Sheila's car, it was Skylar's and the girls were all arrested. Tim, do you have any idea like what the motive was? Oh, yes. So here's the thing. Despite Rachel telling police the girls killed their best friend just because they grew tired of her friendship, it seems that there may have been some other reasons that weren't so obvious. The contents of Skylar's personal diary suggests that she may have known a very salacious secret about her two friends and was threatening to reveal it. She wrote in graphic detail about walking in on Rachel and Sheila having sex during a sleepover in her home. She then alluded on social media that she knew something was going on, tweeting, quote, just know, I know, end quote. And then a little bit later, she wrote, quote, I tell the whole school all the shit I have going on, which is a lot, end quote. Wow. So that's pretty shocking revelation that she found out the secret about her friends and they didn't want it getting out. And that's why they killed her. Just maybe they were paranoid, alluding to this salacious secret and knowing, you know, what it was. And also, you know, when you're at that age, you kind of just lead with what you feel and the girls were obviously like distraught or embarrassed about it maybe and didn't want it to get out yeah and this is small town west virginia and so they probably weren't feeling super accepted by their community potentially so if skylar knew this secret about them they would do anything to protect it and at that age they weren't even potentially knowing what how they were feeling about their sexuality and so this idea that the whole school would then be talking about it was probably too much for them to handle you're the three amigos. Beth, you make a good point. I think there could have been a lot of paranoia on the part of Sheila and Rachel. Well, like you said, Tim, they're the three amigos. And when two of those three become a couple, Skylar was probably feeling really left out. And that might have driven a wedge in the friendship. Like they said, they just didn't want to be friends with her. And obviously, they're mentally unwell if they want to kill her. Well, let's also remember that Rachel came from a strict Catholic home. So, you know, you're in a small town in West Virginia, and here's this thing that you did that someone knows about that they're threatening to spill. You know, she probably felt the back against the wall 
um, and was scared about what the repercussions were if that was shared. That's a good That's point. a really good point. This story would not be tellable without social media. And that's what I think is so interesting about it is that so much of this happened online. From start to finish, Twitter is the driving narrative of this story. You know, I remember when I was a teenager, you run a lot on your emotions. You don't really have, you react, you're reactionary. And I don't think you play things through and think things out. And I think these girls just kept spinning and spinning and spinning. And they thought the only way out was to murder one of their best friends, which is really sick. I go back to, Tim, what you said earlier about Rachel's online bio, that she said, don't make a permanent decision for a temporary emotion. And sometimes I wish I didn't fall in love. And it seems like she didn't take her own advice. And she made a very permanent decision on a temporary emotion. In 2014, Sheila Eddy pled guilty to first-degree murder and was sentenced to life as part of a plea agreement. It made her eligible for parole after 15 years. Rachel Schof pled guilty to second-degree murder. She will be eligible for parole after 10 years. Both girls were 17 at the time of the trials. Perhaps one good thing did come out of Skylar's story. When she first went missing, no Amber Alert was issued because she did not fit the criteria needed. Following her murder, Skylar's law was voted into legislation to modify West Virginia's Amber Alert plan. The new law states that authorities must issue immediate public announcements when any child is missing and in danger, regardless of whether the child is believed to have been kidnapped. Shameless plug. If you're enjoying Crazy in Love, leave us a review. And listen to season three of our hit series, The Piketon Massacre. New episodes air every Wednesday, wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram at KT underscore studios. Crazy in Love is produced by Stephanie Lidecker, Jeff Shane, Chris Graves, Beth Greenwald, Tim Hamilton, and me, Courtney Armstrong. Editing and sound design by Jeff Twa. Crazy in Love is a production of iHeartRadio and KT Studios. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Stay safe, lovers. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, guys. Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series, Cold Blooded, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halpern. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one case, but almost a dozen. 
Listen to Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Gym Murders on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.